Hello and welcome back to the Point Left podcast with your hosts Skylar and Kaylin. My voice is still a little croaky. Sorry, right before we started rolling, I like drowned in <laughs> by drinking in your Gatorade. My Gatorade, Gatorade went down the wrong hole. <laughs> so <laughs> with your hosts and I went Skylar. Um, My audio levels are bottoming out. We love to see it. You're yeah, like, be close to the microphone when you talk, live. and I'm like, <laughs> chomp, <laughs> chomp. Um, today I'm doing a live taste test of um, a new Spindrift flavor that I've never had before. Um, I saw it at Ralph's, and I was like, hmm, yummy. It's mango orange. So let's see. Wow. Okay, if you can up. do that ASMR, can I do ASMR? <laughs> you can crunch. You can crunch. I'm like. <laughs> I didn't eat today, and so, like, I'm, like, shoveling pickle chips in my mouth at, like, a rate that would, like, rival Victorian children. Why am I, like, screaming? <laughs> this is chaos. So anyway, your turn for ASMR. Okay, um, let's take a sip. Hmm. Not my favorite. It kind of tastes like tea. It tastes like a mango tea. Do you want to try? Mm-hmm. You want to get sick? No. All right. A waterfall app. Right, hold on. I'm about to innovation. <gasps> oh my god. Oh my god. Women in STEM. I have removed the cap from my Gatorade oh, as a my own little serving pour. teacup. I'm a bartender. Mmm, <laughs> Caitlin, that tastes like shit. Yeah, <laughs> Why did you do this to me? It tastes like for to me it tastes like like a mango black tea. It tastes like shit. Um, <laughs> it tastes like spit. Yeah, that's not my favorite. I'm glad I bought a whole pack of them. I, I like, okay, honestly, that was my bad because I forgot we were dealing with sparkling water. I just thought you oh. cracked open a beverage. That was me. That wasn't my bad. You're not a sparkling a sparkling water girl. I like my sugar too much. I like my flavor too much. I love, this is what I always tell people. This is what I tell people because people okay. hate on sparkling water. I'm oppressed because of my love for sparkling water. I'm kidding, obviously. <laughs> um, <laughs> that just has to be said. Um, no, I... I do, uh, I love a beverage. I, one thing about me, I love a bevy. Um, also, sorry for any traffic noises. We had to record at my apartment today. Um, so please bear with us. But one thing about me is I love a beverage so much that I purchased a mini fridge <laughs> to hold all of our household beverages because we constantly have so many that it was taking up way too much fucking room in the fridge. So now we have a bevy fridge. That was such a commercial voice, what you just did. One thing about me, one thing I about me. beverage, and now and you too don't have to suffer with hepatitis B anymore. Um, Zaxafil, but I, but I, I do enjoy a sparkling water. But this is what I always tell people because people are like, I, how do you like sparkling water? I would rather just have a soda. Me too, frankly. That's a really nice impression of me. I love. <laughs> no, Some many bitches will be like. <laughs> One drop of blood. <laughs> you, damn you. See, I made fun of her. So now she, <laughs> she's making fun of me because my voice is significantly lower than it needs to be right now through, like, I think a week of sickness and exhaustion. Yeah, it's giving Elizabeth Holmes for sure. One, imagine. <laughs> one drop of blood. Can we, we can figure out the bio. <laughs> Never seen that show. I'm... Um, anyway, anyway, I, I love a soda. I truly, I truly, oh, fuck. Sorry, guys. We have to, I forgot to put the time up. There we go. Um, I love a soda. I, I do. I do. But 
I am also aware of the fact that I probably should not be drinking like soda, honestly, even daily, but like multiple a day, which is what I would be doing instead. So instead I have sparkling water because it itches that little like carbonation factor that I love so much about soda. Yes, it doesn't taste as good. And I am aware. <laughs> I am I am fully aware, but I, you know, I can't be drinking like four sodas every day. Um, so I drink sparkling water at home. And then my little treat whenever I go to the movie theater, because I'm an AMC A-lister. Thank oh. you, Nicole Kidman. Um, I, I get my little large soda and I have a soda at the movies. Um, but at home, I have sparkling water and, and kombucha, which I do. I, I genuinely really do like a, a nice kombucha, um, but they're kind of expensive. Okay. Meanwhile, cycle. I'm literally shoving my face full of chips. We are not the same. We're like, they're my chips, to be fair. <laughs> they are. Like, I I own... <laughs> you're like, and you're broke ass. You're just, <laughs> those are my chips you're eating. <laughs> Actually, no, Taylor bought those for me. Thank you, thank so, you, thank yeah. you, mommy. Thanks, Taylor. Anyway, ah, uh, should we get cracking? Yeah. Oh, oh, I have a segue. I have a segue. Okay. So, um, at my job, one of the um, various perks that that we have—can you even call this a perk? I don't know. Um, but they do like monthly Costco orders, and they always fill the fucking fridge with Lacroix. That's so a perk. I like. I am downing LaCroix. One time I forgot my water bottle at home and I drank like three LaCroix that day because I, I don't know, usually I'm sipping on my water and I, I, I needed it. Um, but speaking of work, do you see what I did there? Um, today we are going to be talking about, hmm, today we're going to be talking about, um, kind of just like work culture in general, like the nine to five, the 40 hour work week. Um, I'm going to go over kind of like the history of how we got to where we are now. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I know you have a little bit about like Japanese culture and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, But for my historical, like, yeah, over, over cap. What the fuck? That's, is that a word? Overview. Oh, recap. Oh my god! Oh my god, guys! I'm sorry. No, Kaylin is going to teach you the history of um, the typical nine to five work week, and mm. I'm going to try to convert you to communism. Yes, yeah, <laughs> and that's yeah, going to yeah. be the purpose of this episode today. Um, but I'm I'm basically just going to be going over like the Western history, so I'm not really going into the history of like China or India, even though they did have um, a huge impact during the Industrial Revolution as well. Um, mm-hmm. But I, for today's conversation's sake, am just going to be speaking from like a Western perspective and like American work culture um, in general. So it's it's not going to be like wholly in, in, inclusive. Um, but let's just, let's just get into it. Let's get it. into it, John Green. John Green. Yes, I did get most of my information from a crash course And they deserve <laughs> video. it. I love the Green Brothers. <laughs> the Green Brothers. Um, but it was exactly what I needed. I needed something digestible and easy to understand and like uh, frankly the wikipedia page was not giving what i i needed go so white boys go white boys go i know so i had to go i had to go to to good old uh reliable john green so the uh general nine to five or, or, or i guess more the the work culture that we see today kind of originates all the way back from the Industrial Revolution. So I'm just going to give a quick recap of the Industrial Revolution. Um, and 
if you don't know, it is basically one of the most important moments in the history of when when it comes to like time periods that have really transformed the way that we live our lives. Things like grocery stores, urbanization, air conditioning, public education, and basically like every single thing that you can imagine that has to do with like our everyday life, transportation, things like that, um, would not exist as we know it without the influence of the Industrial Revolution. So before the Industrial Revolution, about 80% of the population were engaged in farming, um, whereas now less than 1% of the United States are farmers. Um, quick, quick shout out to my grandfather, who is a farmer. Oh, the top it. 1%. <laughs> I got a couple farmers on my side. Yeah, yeah. We Midwest gals. We have, I mean, Nebraska. there's there's farms everywhere, but... Um, yeah, so now less than 1% of the United States are farmers. And the reason for that, obviously, is because now we go to grocery stores and we don't have to have our own land and our own produce and our own animals to like sustain ourselves and our village. Um, so the Industrial Revolution, put simply, is basically a result of supply and demand that was created by the inventions of the time. So, for example, the invention of weaving looms created a higher demand for yarn, which then created inventions like the spinning jenny, which is a multi-spindled spinning frame, which soon became um, mechanized by water power, and then later the steam engine, which was invented, which allows for mechanized cotton mills. Steam engines created a higher demand for coal, which caused the invention of a machine that clearly water out of mines for better coal access with more coal allows for even more efficient steam engines to be invented which spurred things like railroads and steamboats you get where i'm i'm Mm -hmm. i'm going with this um so the connections between these inventions can literally go on so much longer um it was it was just kind of like a domino effect um but you you know you get the point so All of this created a much more efficient and cheaper processes for things like clothes, food, transportation, which allowed for more widespread accessibility. So now instead of like having all your clothes made, you know, at home with your own sewing machine um, or having, you know, your own crops in your backyard or your animals to tend to, now you can just like have that made by someone else. So now you have all this time that you don't have to spend like farming and sewing and and doing things like that and now there is a demand for workers because there are all of these mills and factories um and and things that are now necessary because of all these inventions that, that have come up um so the industrial revolution totally changed the way that we work as well um it created a need for urbanization so now people are all coming together into large cities to work in factories whereas before obviously they were in like smaller rural areas where they could farm um during this time most people were working a minimum of 12 hour days six to seven days a week so obviously at least for most people more than than what we see now so now jumping forward a little bit to the u.s that was all happening in europe and then obviously there were effects that was happening around the world as well including the u.s um so in 1791 philadelphia carpenters went on strike to advocate for 10-hour work days this was kind of the first time that people were really advocating for more leisure time instead of you know obviously like working themselves to death um and then by the 1830s the 10-hour workday had become kind of the general demand across industries um the demand for an eight-hour workday um can be traced back as early as 1836 um, and then in the 1860s that had become the general demand so now we're like almost a hundred years later um, and we're getting around to a general demand of an eight-hour workday so 
blah, 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 throughout this time. Um, strikes are happening. The Chicago labor movement is happening, which was a huge thing. Laws are like kind of being made, but there's so many loopholes that like, it really doesn't do anything. Um, then, big jump. In 1914, the Ford Motor Company cut their shifts from nine hour days to eight hours and doubled workers pay to $5 a day, um, which today is about $145.42 or 1818 an hour. Um, now, rival companies were pissed. They were like, that bitch, because now <laughs> everyone, everyone wants to work for Ford. And now Ford has kind of created this standard of like, oh, shit, uh, now we have to treat our employees well. Ah! Um, and who's shocked this change that Ford did uh, created a increase in productivity, a larger profit margin, which actually doubled in two years. Um, and most motor companies after, you know, the two years of seeing all of the great transformations that this change had occurred or had caused were like, hmm, maybe Mr. Ford has a point. Um, and they, they soon followed suit. So this kind of started the like general expectation for an eight hour workday, whereas before that was like what people wanted, but now it's becoming the expectation because it's actually being implemented. Um, but the eight hour workday was only legally established in 1916, which makes sense. Cause that would be two hour or two hours. Oh my God. Two years from 1914 when Ford still did this. So the eight hour workday happened two hours or Jesus Christ. Sorry, guys. (laughs) Two years. Oh, my God. Two years after um, with the United States Adamson Act, um, which established an eight hour workday and then over time with additional pay um, for railroad workers. So this was the first like federal law that really regulated the hours of workers in private companies. Um, Because I think before, like, obviously anyone who was working like federally had had Mm -hmm. laws set in place. But now this covered private companies, whereas before those kind of like, you know, they're private. They can like do whatever the fuck they want. Yeah. Um, So then in 1937, the Fair Labor Standards Act was proposed, and this applied to industries whose combined employment made up like 20% of the U.S. labor force um, and set a maximum work week of 40 hours with overtime resulting in additional compensation. And that's kind of where we're at today. The whole time you were saying all of that, I was just thinking, I was singing Newsies (laughs) in my head. Yeah. Okay, random tangent, but Disney pretending like it's very pro-union is very funny to me. Like, in general, large companies like Disney can never be pro-union because big companies do not care about you, and unions prevent big companies from paying you nothing, which they would if they could. Um, But with Newsies, even going so far as, like, in the promotional material for Newsies being like, Walt Disney himself sold newspapers in his youth. Like, Walt Disney himself wouldn't have called them all filthy communists and tried to run them all over with his car. Which... Happened. With his Ford. Which happened. I'm not even fucking with you. What? Animators striked against the company in 1941 for like unfair business practices, for like being overworked, for not enough pay. And he, Walt was so offended and betrayed that his company would dare like ask him for a union or any sort of whatever, that he jokingly drove at the protesters full speed with his car. No, guys, I was just kidding. Duh. He, he was laughing as it he drove away. It was just a prank. And you also, like, take it so seriously. The musical, like, a musical being made about the glories of being in a union is such a random idea, but also, like, slay. I know. I <laughs> need to see Christian Bale in a musical again. When is that going to happen? When he can learn how to sing. Yeah. <laughs> but isn't 
that the f- most fun part? I just want to see him like <laughs> dancing around. Is it not enough to see Christian Bale on a silver screen? Huge. <laughs> I need him on Broadway immediately. Um, so present day, I know after going through all the history, um, it might seem a little silly to be like, and eight hours is terrible and places treat us so horribly, but it's like, okay, just because we're no longer being like physically abused at our jobs doesn't mean that like you can't demand more. Um, and also times have changed. The needs have changed. Um, and frankly, the eight hour day isn't eight hours. Uh, yeah. Like, wow. You want like shelter when yeah. thousands of years ago, all we needed was big rock to hit big against rock. small rock, hit, hit animal feed family, big rock. So much simpler. Ugh, are so much simpler. So How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> when all you need is big rock. <laughs> Damn Look how far we've rock. come down with small rock. Need Big rock. Big, big rock. I'm in the pocket of big rock. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> the eight hour day isn't really eight hour days. I know um, we live in LA um, where traffic is notoriously very, very bad. And you can hear it outside right now. Yeah. And personally, and like, to be fair, I do live like very far from my work, um, but it takes me at least an hour to get to work every day. And then sometimes it's taken me up to like an hour and 45 minutes to get to work. Um, and then it usually takes me like 45 minutes to an hour to get back to work. So that's like two additional hours that I'm adding on to my work day, um, which is 10. Actually, no, that's 11 hours because my day at least is eight hours, not including my hour lunch. Mm. So I'm at the office for nine hours, but then I usually leave around 8.30 and I don't get home until like 7.30 typically. Um, And then it's 7.30 and it's like, oh shit, I have to eat and um, maybe like work out and maybe shower and maybe like, I don't know, watch an episode of something. And then, oh my God, I have to go to bed. Um, And I also think it's really interesting how the increase in remote work because of the pandemic, I think has Mm. really, really shifted working culture Um, because I think so many people find themselves working over 40 hours because of remote work. Whereas like before you, you know, you clock out at 530, you drive home and then like, I don't know, maybe you answer an email here and there. But now that like so many people are working from home, those lines are getting more and more blurred. Mm -hmm. So it's like, okay, yes, I'm like leaving the office at 630. But then when I get home, I still have other fucking emails that I have to reply to because other people who are fully remote just continue to work mm-hmm. but because they, you know, obviously like they don't have this the commute to, to worry about. So, so like the lines between work and home are just getting more and more blurred. And like, don't get me wrong. Like I love personally, I'm hybrid. Uh, we're in the office three days a week. I'm remote two days. And like, I love the flexibility of working from home. Um, but the increase in hours because of that doesn't really feel fair. Um, mm. And personally, my office has our phone line connected through like our cell phones. It's like an app on our phones. So I'm literally getting like office calls on my phone. And this happened this week and I got a freaking call on Saturday. And I was like, am I supposed to be answering this? Like, it's not office hours. I didn't because I'm like, it's not office hours. Like, why are you calling an office line on a Saturday? Um, or like on holidays, I've gotten calls on holidays where I'm like, am I supposed to answer this? Like, w- like, what am I supposed to do here? You know? Um, and, and 
Ugh, it's just like those those boundaries just keep getting more and more blurred. Um, and, you know, I, I think a lot of people put the blame on individuals and they're like, you know what? Like, it's up to you to set those work-life boundaries, but it's up to you to get fired. Yeah, exactly. It's like, how the fuck am I supposed to do that when I'm at the bottom of the totem pole? If working free overtime and checking my emails after hours is what's expected, how am I supposed to just be like, no, I'm actually going to draw a boundary there because guess what? They can fucking replace me with someone who will do those things. And at the end of the day, I'm sorry. I say that so much on here, guys. At the end of the day, it's management's responsibility to set up those boundaries. But like, why would management set up those boundaries when it's not beneficial to them to do that? At least with the current generation that is in power. Um, You know, hopefully, I think we will see changes because I think especially our generation is kind of demanding more of a work-life balance than the generations before. Um, But I mean, that's not like all-inclusive of every single person. I've definitely met people our age who are like, no, you have to grind. You have to like, I love working until 10 p.m. I wake up at 6 a.m. and I work through the whole day. And it's like, bro, get a life. Like respectfully. (laughs) Get a grip. Get get a grip. Um, And then real quickly, there's this Atlantic article that I think just really like, solidifies everything that I'm saying here. Um, And it's titled Reclaiming the 9 to 5 as a Symbol of Empowerment. Um, And there's a quote, and it says, people don't seem to be working any less. On the contrary, after a century of steady decline in annual hours worked from about 3,000 in 1870, these these are annual hours worked, um, to about 1900 in 1973, this trend came to an abrupt end. From 1973 to 2006, the average American worker added 180 more hours to their annual working schedule. So it's like we have this whole, whole like historical impact of like demanding fewer and fewer hours, and then we finally reach that. And then it's like, with like the invention of computers and and like re- remote jobs and like office jobs and things like that it has become way more common for people to work even more than they did in the 1970s. Yeah. And it's like, it can feel so frustrating to like try to offer solutions to this because like so many things that people consider permanent and something that our society will crumble without actually haven't even been around for that long. This increase, this work spike really only happened from like 1973 to 2006 and that ends there. So like 1973 really wasn't that long ago. And like, Credit scores were invented in 1989 and like gender reveal parties were a thing like only 13 years ago. And yet people like when we have these conversations about like maybe getting rid of them, they'll act like getting rid of them would be like hitting the towers again. Like we'd be fine. We would be fine without gender reveal parties. We'd be fine without credit scores. We've managed to do it before and we'd be fine without this like, ooh, the grind. Mm-hmm. We would we would lie, like live. My um, poor little throat. Let's see if she can handle it. <clears throat> Who wants a soapbox while I clear my throat right <laughs> in the microphone? And I think the angle that I'm taking this at is because, like, I have a very personal relationship with people who who have this, like, they put their entire stock as a person into the grind. And those people kind of dominate this conversation and make it seem like people asking for less um, are, like, pansies mm-hmm. or that they just can't like can't cut it because like there's such a pride people have about working themselves to death which makes this conversation just feel totally impossible to have and that makes sense right like there's got to be some trade-off from exhausting yourself with no reward and but so that reward has to come internally so people who work that hard they have to feel the sense of accomplishment of pride of doing the work that nobody else was strong enough to do it's how you get these people usually men 
who are all like, oh, you worked 50 hours this week? Okay, sweetheart, call me when you work 80 hours a week, 90 hours, 365 for 30 years. And they pat themselves on the back for it because nobody else will. And the companies who employ you also want you to think that way because a workforce that dedicated to pushing themselves for no benefits is very convenient for business profits. Again, companies, if they could get away with it, would pay you nothing if they could. If they legally could, they would pay you nothing. If they wanted to, they would have you pay them to work for them. So they want a workforce that would like bend over backwards and rip themselves in half for nothing. Mm -hmm. And if you instill that into your workforce as part of like your work culture, that's good for business and it's good for instilling loyalty in your in your employees. And like people just so willing to be a cog in the machine is so frustrating. Mm -hmm. In the most common cases, your company can and will replace you. In the best circumstances, you will have worked hard enough to be considered important to keep around, right? That's the goal. It's like you got to work to be considered valuable um, so they don't, they, they maybe will hesitate before yeah. they let you go. Yeah, you have to be an asset to the company. Exactly. But now you're in a position where they can shove massive amounts of work on you, unfair amount of work, and you'll do it. They do it because they know you'll do it and you won't complain because no business wants a complainer and you'd rather just take it on the chin and jump when they say jump than potentially speak up and run the risk of being replaced. And I feel like I need to say this slowly to camera. <laughs> no matter how hard you work, no matter how long you've worked there, no matter how close you are with your bosses, no matter what, you will never ever be considered irreplaceable. Mm -hmm. Profit comes before people always. Yeah. The company's loyalty will never side with you. So it's so maddening when people's loyalty side with the company over themselves. Mm -hmm. And I get it. Like, I really do get it. I know this can definitely seem like, like very, um, kind of like how I felt with the marriage episode where it was just like, we're two little girls basically in this world of capitalism being like, what about the work-life balance? And you got like crotchety 50 year olds that are like, shut the fuck up. You don't know anything mm -hmm. about how hard it is out there. And you're right, I don't, because I don't want to know how hard it is out there, frankly. And that well, might... because it doesn't have to be that And that way. might sound like laziness. That might sound like silver spoon. And maybe it is. I've never had to kill myself to grind before. And I'm just uneasy on doing that. And maybe, you know, you can get on there and be like, that's just the way that life works. And you're avoiding, you know, the hard facts of life by trying to avoid it. Mm -hmm. and, and I get it. I really do get it. Hard work does feel good. We have monkey brains. We enjoy a job well done. And when we see how far we've come and we get recognized by our bosses, by our coworkers, you get this overwhelming sense of pride and accomplishment, especially if you've done something that maybe gets awards or um, any sort of like, I don't know if people still do employee of the month. <laughs> I don't know if that's only like a SpongeBob thing now or if people still do that. Or if you worked on a project that you can look up and be like, look, guys, I did that. Look, guys, I was involved in that movie. I was involved in making that building. I was involved in passing that bill. Like if you can, if there's a tangible thing that you can show off to people, you will get the sense of accomplishment and award and hard work. That's why people cry at the Oscars. Like it, you will get this overwhelming sense of like you put in the hard work, you get the reward. That's, that's obvious. And so that makes sense that some people will feel that way about their jobs. And there's also like a certainty of self that comes with a lifetime of focused work. Like people caught in that endless work grind can look at the people who preach like you need a good work life balance. And those people will also tend to kind of struggle to find themselves, reignite their passions, find what sparks their interests. And the grinders will be like, okay, I don't need to think about all that stuff because I don't have the free time to wonder or ask myself what I'd rather be doing instead. I have a set schedule. I have a set life plan. I don't sit around asking like, 
trying to find out what makes me feel good when I'm too busy working my ass off. And then, you know, I'll come home and I'll unwind after like a beer or something. And so you see like the more, you know, the people that advocate for more of like a healthy work-life balance on prioritizing things, they're like more socially, their lives can get kind of messy. And so there can be something very alluring about a set social and work structure where you don't have to think about stuff like that. Mm-hmm. We're like, oh, I don't have to think about, you know, my purpose in life because I'm working too hard to think about that type of stuff. It can feel relaxing almost, weirdly enough, in a way that like working so hard can be more relaxing than being alone with your thoughts. Who among us haven't doom scrolled mm-hmm. because we don't want to be alone with our thoughts? Like podcast on, TV episode, blasting, phone, scrolling through Twitter, also texting five people because you don't want to be alone with the bad thoughts. Like that can work also if you're like a super hard worker mm-hmm. and you like, you know, if you're constantly super busy you don't really notice and i've gone in that at my job where i'm just so busy that i don't really notice that well i haven't eaten but or 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 pissed um but like i feel like i don't have enough free time to get into the bad thoughts because i've been too busy all day that can be alluring and a good part of like the work grind also but again it's these people that lack the reward for constantly grinding who then compensate for that lack of reward by putting their entire sense of identity and self-worth into how hard they can push themselves it's those people who make this conversation and anytime someone tries to bring up that maybe we should work less actually feel so counterintuitive and just like impossible to have because all they hear when we say like less work means more productivity there's a need for good work-life balance we're all dying because of the stress and you know worse quality of life blah 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 what they hear is is, okay, sir, it's usually a man saying these things, let's be honest, sir, the way you've lived your life, the way your parents and your grandparents and great-grandparents all lived their lives were ill-suited for the pursuit of happiness, and all that hard work you put into was foolish and a waste of your time. Of course they'd get defensive. How could you not get defensive when that's how you take the argument? Instead of people being like, here's a solution. All you see is your suffering was for nothing because we're about to abolish the cause for suffering in the first place. It's the same people of being like, no, college can't be free for other people because it wasn't free for me. And, you know, if you're like me, your thought is like, well, okay, person, don't you want life to be better, easier for the people that come after you? Don't you? Yes, you suffered. Why do you want other people to suffer as you've suffered instead of wanting an end to that suffering? Except no, because then I understand how, like, then why did I have to suffer? Mm-hmm. Why am I the guinea pig? If Why did it take it would it take someone after me to realize that I did all of that and that was bad? Mm-hmm. Why did it take, like, me grinding and suffering and struggling and, like, spending my very finite life on an environment that potentially is not very rewarding if someone else after me can live a better life that can feel very hurtful um yeah i never understand like those perspectives of people who are like (laughs) well i suffered so that means everyone else has to suffer too because otherwise it's not fair and it's like those are the same fucking people who will look you in the eyes when you're complaining about something happening in your life and they're like well life isn't fair i'm gonna start fucking doing that those people i'm just gonna look them in the eyes and be like well, life isn't fair. Sorry. I don't know. That, that That's just such a, like, stupid argument to make. It's like, why would you not want, like, a better world and a better life for the generation, like, below you? And, and honestly, the main reason is people are fucking... I, it's, you're so right. It's people are 
miserable in their own lives and and they don't want to see other people happy because that means that the little tricks that they have made in their own mind to convince themselves that what they are doing is for a purpose and what they are doing has like some higher meaning it doesn't actually have any greater meaning i also this is like such a off topic no it's good but why the fuck? I, I was thinking about this the other day. I'm like, I'm so confused why people like, for example, the Kardashians or like Jeff Bezos or like those types of fucking like billionaires. Why don't they just retire? I'm, I'm, I'm like, you have so much money. Like there's a certain point where you have so much money that you could literally just retire and like enjoy the rest of your life at like mm-hmm. 30 years old. And it's like, why don't, why don't you just like enjoy your life like why do you why do you feel such a need to constantly be working yourself and constantly be monetizing yourself and like it is just that like capitalist mindset like seeping into your soul and being like well my life has no purpose if i'm not like if i'm not a girl boss (laughs) like at least for the kardashians it's a sake to constantly stay socially relevant because Mm -hmm. at this point i think they've gotten high off of permanent social clout but it also reminds me of like those stupid business pages or like Instagram pages that are um, designed to entrap a, like boys, like preteen boys yeah. being like, honestly, if you offered me a million dollars or a key to make my own million dollars, I would like reject that million dollars and then like w- take your secrets and make work my way up and get my own business. It's like what every two fuckers with mm-hmm. uh, other podcasts are about, about like making your own like, making sure you're a high-value man. No, not the fucking high-value. That's a whole... Write that down. Write that down. That's our next topic. Oh, my God. But honestly, like, this same type... And I'm going to go on another tangent. Someone stop me. But this same type of um, argument can be said about, like, other political aspects, too. Like, honestly, um, I've had conversations with my friends about, like, a lot of the... Um, like rise in like LGBTQ plus hate um, and, you know, the, the need to um, kind of Congress it away, Congress the gay away or like the, the, the drag away or, um, or books that celebrate diversity and stuff. And the, or, you know, the idea of um, gender studies, of African-American studies, diversity courses in colleges being such a threat is like the initial thought is like, who gives a shit? Who cares? But then I'm like, no, the existence of other options is so threatening to people who need one life option. Other, like, if you have convinced yourself that one way of life is the only good way of life, you kind of, but that way of life kind of sucks. Like, it, it doesn't, the very, the very um, conservative Republican way of life does not fit a lot of people. And at the, at the end of the day, it's not a very happy life, if we're being super honest. It's very, you know, like, it's, it's, you know, the nine to five, work the grind, get a housewife, have kids, settle down type of, you know, go to church on Sunday. That's not intrinsically um, a good marketing gimmick. <laughs> How do you get people to be on that side? Well, you get people to be on that side by convincing them that every other side is evil, mm-hmm. corrupt, full of pedophiles and perverts and you know, corruptive to the soul in general. It's the stupid satanic panic part two that's going around, which is like the, one of the stupidest parts of the 80s and 90s is a satanic panic. Why that? Why can't we all... You know, we all we all the Stranger Things fashion for like a summer. Can't we just bring the fashion back and not the satanic panic? It was so lame. And maybe bring back, you know, like um, Miss Reagan's throat goat. 
um, <laughs> techniques. Bring those back and not and not satanic panic. But you, it's this need to like, no, it's not enough that like you have to peddle that your life is the best because you kind of deep down, you know it's not. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, everyone would be doing it. So you, there's this need to also limit other options so that way your fan base or your core base doesn't know that there are other options because if you let yourself think that there might be better life paths for you you're really gonna spiral about whether you've chosen the right one and they really don't want you to spiral and thinking that you've maybe chosen the wrong one kind of the same way with this honestly yeah yeah i i like I don't know. I feel like with those types of people who are so hell bent on like a specific way of life and and the specific way that you're supposed to, you know, you're supposed to go to school, you're supposed to go to college, you're supposed to get a good paying job, you're supposed to get married and have kids and then retire. And, you know, like this specific way of life that I think a lot of people are conditioned to believe that that's like the only way of living just shows such a lack of enlightenment. Mm. And it's very like, I don't know. I, I, I still like, like, obviously you're so, so right that it, it, people will do whatever mental gymnastics it takes for them to convince themselves that their entire life hasn't like been a waste. And, and maybe what no they're doing is actually, yeah, is actually meaningless. But at the same time, I'm also like, well, isn't it, I don't know. I just feel like I have the perspective of like, wouldn't you rather figure that out when you're like 40 mm-hmm. and then you can make that change in your life? Like, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't believe any experience that I've been through, even negative ones have been a waste because I've learned something from them or I have like become a better version of myself through it. You know, like I, I just feel like that's the way that you have to perceive life. Otherwise you're going to miss out on so many opportunities and you're going to waste so much of your life. Just like, thinking that your life has been a waste like or just ignoring the possibility that you could be wasting your life by just like trucking forward and ignoring all of the voices outside or all you know anything that could possibly tell you that like hey maybe you would actually enjoy life a little more if you took that fucking rod out of your ass <laughs> and just and like that boot out of your yeah, mouth and and just really understood that like human life is not meant to be lived behind a fucking desk sorry (laughs) off my soapbox (laughs) no and i've 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 honestly like you know shower thoughts but like shower thoughts that i've had is like there and i get like these tweets are all supposed to be like lighthearted. be like why must i answer emails we were all designed to like pick grape and bask in sun and not have a care in the world. And it's like, at the same time, yes, but also, um, we were also designed to, like, be hunted. Um, and, like, uh, predator. Um, have baby by, like, 13. Yeah. I don't want that. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I get, like, it can, and no one's actually considering, you know, like, Actually, maybe people are because people can be sick of, you know, late stage capitalism. But like, I get that it can feel kind of like counterintuitive to know that like we were designed for something and here we are behind a very artificial environment, Mm -hmm. like clearly that we were not biologically suited for. But like, honestly, someone explained it to me like our brains were still designed to like evade predator. Um, And when we evolved out of the need to do that, those those feelings we're still equipped with those feelings except now our threats aren't tiger and other cavemen with big rock mm-hmm. now our threat is bright fluorescent light in target 
Well, here's the thing is I feel like we are so lucky to be at a point in our like, I don't know, human evolution where we don't have to worry about that stuff. Like Mm -hmm. we, you know, like you don't have to worry about, um, you know, going out and like hunting a Buffalo to feed your entire family or, um, or I mean, obviously like there are still, societies that like do that Mm -hmm. but like generally speaking in like american culture like we are lucky that we don't have to worry about those things and it's not that like humans weren't meant to work i think we are meant to exert energy towards you know like specific things and specific passions but it's like we it doesn't it it doesn't have to be this way it doesn't (laughs) have to be this way it's very like imagine how much more incredible the world could be and like society could be if we didn't have to fucking worry about money if everyone just had everything taken care of and we didn't have to worry about that and you're like hmm what am i going to do with my time now because we would have so much time you could create art you could write you could you know what maybe maybe you are a fucking girl boss at heart and you want to like invent something and like distribute it amongst the people you know like it's not that we weren't meant to work in those ways i think we are but it's just how much energy are we supposed to put into that Mm -hmm. and how how many people truly like are passionate about their jobs in that way and it's like the way that our our society is built right now is that every job i kind of hate when people are like um if you love what you do you never work a day in your life because that's such a fucking lie there are aspects to every single job that you're not going to like because likely you're not going to be your own boss you're going to have other people even if you are your own boss or whatever like you still have other people to please you still have other people who you're trying to like make happy with the decisions that you're making and i don't know i don't know where i'm going with this i'm just life is frustrating capitalism is frustrating and like that's why the idea of ai art pisses me off so much i mean there's so many things about ai art artificial intelligence art for um people like my dad who don't know what i'm saying um ai art because the concept of it is so and like the opposite of what i feel like the potential of ai could like could be Mm -hmm. because like in a perfect utopian world people can see the increase of like artificial intelligence and like robotics and they're like oh they can do the menial tasks that human beings would never want to do like they can be the touch screens that like they can be cashiers um they can be like the small menial jobs that can kind of feel like your brain is turning to goo that means that you can focus more on like you were saying things like art and creation but ai art is like what if Instead of doing that, we use robots to make the art so that well, you have more time for work. It's like, do you have... No, you troglodyte. That's the <laughs> opposite of what robots... Robots are not supposed to make our lives harder. Mm-hmm. Why would I want a robot to be better at creating poetry in books and literature and art than me so that I have more time to sit at my desk. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take both of my hands around your throat and squeeze tightly. <laughs> yeah, so many things about AI art. I could literally go on a whole separate tangent about. Mm-hmm. Um, and very quickly, like, uh, I know, like, I'm only really going to focus on like in like the Western work culture. I know like um, places like Japan have like a really bad, serious issue with work-life balance, even more so than we do. Mm-hmm. Like, they are truly never off the clock um and they still have like way more of um like politeness and manners above a lot of things um and so they still have the very much like um it's like secretarial type of 
um, environment or like respect um, mm. and always making sure that like you're on, you're always on. They have a word actually. I think I'm pronouncing this right. I think it's Kiroshi. I'm 90% sure it's out of Which can be translated to overwork death. Kiroshi is a Japanese term relating to occupation-related sudden death. It is estimated that as many as 488 million people worldwide were exposed to dangerously long working hours in 2016. Kiroshi, or death from overwork, has been a recognizable social problem in Japan since the 1970s. And, like, honestly, from someone with, like, a big, like, animation background, like, animators in Japan are, like, they work so hard. Like a lot of American um, like animated shows, they send a lot of their storyboards and rough animatics over to Korea um, and other parts of Asia to get that animated for um, cheaper. Uh, and then it gets sent back to us um, and then we air it, distribute it, whatnot. Um, and uh, they get paid like dog shit. <laughs> and there's really not a huge like demand for like animation unions over there, even though animation is one of the hardest jobs in the world separate soapbox um and genuinely like so okay that's the culture right we're dying people is like kiroshi is sudden death from overwork it could be like heart attacks collapsing at your desk um overwork from stress the way that like you know um god like johnny cash people like he died from a broken heart and you're like well no but technically maybe yes um because you know june passed away and then he suddenly passed away quite soon after her and people were like he died of a broken heart and it's like medically no but also kind of yes it was stress and grief um kind of did a lot of physical one-two punches with him same way that like stress can kill you mm-hmm. very suddenly very quickly so now that we've established this serious threat that is very all-encompassing you're like all right solutions give me some now um and you're trying to ignore the people that are like snowflakes <laughs> snowflakes you all are an article from um, CNBC.com, like, workers report a four-day work week improves health, finances, and relationships. Quote, it simply makes you happy. <laughs> and it's crazy. Like, it's like, yeah, no what a crazy shit. crazy concept. Um, those are the results from a six-month trial in the UK run by a nonprofit four-day week global and the think tank Autonomy, which included nearly 3,000 workers at 61 companies and ran from June to December of 2022, making it the world's biggest four-day workweek experiment to date. The experiment uses a 180-100 model. Workers get 100% of the pay for working 80% of the time in exchange for delivering 100% of their usual output. So like, okay, fine, you do a four-day workweek. You have to promise us that you're going to get the same amount of work done that you would during a five-day work week and when you hear that you know my very cynic brain goes oh no uh (laughs) oh dear oh my like the the work days are already so demanding like how can you expect um still the same amount of work with the same amount of pay for less time that sounds like an like an actual nightmare um but the four-day week global and autonomy tout the experiment as a resounding success 92 percent of companies say they're continuing with the four-day work week permanently of the five companies not moving forward two are extending their trials and three are pausing for the moment companies rated their overall experience well saying business performance and productivity remained high revenue increased and turnover dropped um, on the employee side, 90% say they definitely want to continue with a four-day week. 55% reported an increase in their ability at work. And 15% said no amount of money would make them go back to a five-day schedule. <laughs> and honestly, like, that makes sense. I- I'm sure that fe- those fears will still be there. And that really does depend, again, mm-hmm. on, like, the, um, I guess environment that you're working in or and also the industry that you're working in mm-hmm. some industries you can't do that like i know for a lot of the entertainment industry like it's just kind of you can't 
do that. But that that was all, that's up to management to be shifting people out. Yeah, I think that's the most challenging thing is that like these or I, I, what the largest barrier seems to be is that if you were to implement a four day work week, like it would have to be something that was done legislatively yeah. because you would have to ensure that every other company or every other place that you are doing business with is also doing a four day work week. And that's not me being like, well, that's the reason why we can't do one. I think we should. We, mm-hmm. we absolutely should. I say this all the time. I need a three day weekend. I need one day for rest and relaxation or for, you know, creating, you know, doing whatever I want to do, like on my time. I need another day for socializing and spending time with friends, family, whoever. And then I need another day just to like an admin day, like to clean around the house, to do my grocery shopping, to do my meal prepping. Like that is the perfect weekend. And it's hard. It is a challenge to do all of that in two days. It is nearly impossible. And most weeks, I, I can't do all three. And like, one us. has to give. We don't have a family. I know. I don't have kids. I have two cats. I don't have a marriage. No. <laughs> or, like, events that I have to plan. God forbid I have children. I don't know how people do it. I, 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 I genuinely don't. God. And there's another article here from GetClockwise.com. Basically, um kind of saying the same thing iceland new zealand doing a trial run four-day work week and seeing the benefits governments in spain and japan japan is like please god um advocate also for four-day work weeks they see that it has increased productivity reduced business expenses and reduced carbon footprint of course it would you're traveling less Mm -hmm. than you Mm -hmm. usually would and like for increased productivity i get that if i have more time to unwind the more time i'm eager to get back to work instead of seeing every day like a slog that i have to get through otherwise i'm going to put a bullet between my two front teeth Mm -hmm. It makes sense. I mean, obviously, like with every good idea, there's always comes that sneaking suspicion that someone will take advantage of it, etc. Um, and honestly, like the same way that large companies will pay advertisers and spokespeople to make campaigns against things trying to strip them of their power, there will be people that you will see on like Fox News or other like, you know, right wing pundits advocating against the four day work week and other any other business strategy that puts people over profit. Mm-hmm. Like there's always going to be a New York Times opinion piece written by a dude that's like, I think green solutions are actually more harmful to the planet. And then you Google him and he's like the son of like every oil baron. <laughs> and you're like, ah, I see. Uh-huh. I think we need a seven day work week, actually. And it's like, I think we need to put children in the factory. And that, that man is Elon Musk. And it's like, <laughs> you're like, oh, I see. And like, you can shake your fist at the sky all you want and just be like, kids today are just lazy. Nobody wants to work these days because that's way more of a helpful myth than the actual truth of, well, first of all, nobody's hiring, but that these companies are just taking advantage of people. Mm-hmm. Companies want you to believe it's a people problem, that they're just, they're just innocent businesses and it's the workforce that's entitled for demanding bathroom breaks and sick days it's not businesses demanding people be on call for the rest of their lives it's people being lazy and unable to roll up their sleeves and get the job done because then that makes you direct your anger at the people instead of on the actual companies themselves and they want to breed this culture of loyalty and have their workers eat each other rather than banding together and demanding actual change mm-hmm. it's like it's those big companies that sit everyone down at orientation and show them videos about how evil and corrupt unions are to never trust anyone who says that you deserve benefits and recognition and because they know that's a direct threat to them. And, you know, again, like, ugh, kids these days always wanting a good job and for you to be kind to their feelings while at work. In my day, your reward was not getting fired. Listen, old man. 
I'm glad this system has worked for you and has so far prevented you from killing yourself, but I don't want to rot behind a desk for 60 years sucking the tit of my bosses who the second I say no to something will let my ass go. Mm -hmm. I might not even get 60 years on this planet. Permanent lifelong commitments are just not doing it for me right now. And I get that the more young people set boundaries at work means that the people who've worked there for longer will get shafted with that leftover workload. But instead of getting mad at your younger co-workers who dared to set boundaries and demand workplace respect, how about you get angry at your employers for cruel and demanding workloads and unrealistic deadlines? Huh, Dad? Dad, why can't we do that? Why are you always complaining about your younger co-workers demanding boundaries and be like, now I have to do the co-worker's job? Father, you're scaring me. This is one of the few things that we disagree with, and I need you to watch this podcast. <laughs> This, um, I, I totally meant to talk about this earlier, but then I kind of forgot and this like Life briefly touched on it. Um, but I think another, just so quickly, sorry guys, I know this doesn't really have to do anything, but I want to say it. Um, <laughs> I think another side effect of like the pandemic, um, and how that has affected our work culture now is you said earlier, you're like, well, no one's fucking hiring. And I think a big reason for that is obviously during the pandemic, a lot of companies were losing a lot of profits and they had to let people go. But then because they had to let so many people go, a lot of people had to pick up the slack. Mm. So then they have one employee doing the work of two or maybe even three people. And they are realizing that if they can just overwork one person, they don't have to pay a salary for three people. Mm -hmm. So all of these companies are diminishing their, like uh, the amount of employees that they have, forgetting that their employees are human beings and people and that maybe they shouldn't be working 12 hour days and that maybe if they do you should pay them overtime and not complain about it we just both turn into Karl marx like, oh my god actually yesterday i made um you nick, pick up the hammer i pick up the sickle yeah. and we like combine them in the middle i made nick um watch triangle of sadness because i had just been like itching to watch it again mm. um and have you seen it <gasps> okay it's for anyone who hasn't seen it it's really really good Another i <laughs> i know sorry guys um i obviously love everything everywhere all at once i think it deserved all of the oscars that it won i knew it was gonna fucking sweep but i will say triangle of sadness was the first movie that i had watched this past year since everything everywhere all at once where i was like holy shit that might win the oscar mm. obviously it didn't um, but I think that might just be because sadness was in the title. And I think a lot of people didn't watch it. Including the Oscar voters. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, but it's really, really good. It is like two and a half hours long. And if you know me, I have such a thing against movies over two hours. Um, I like, what? Oh, hi. Yeah. She was sleeping back there. Aww. She was just napping. Sorry. Little kitty came Give out. Give me your body. Little kitty came out <laughs> to come, to come and play. But, um. Me. It's very, very good. It's like a satire on um, capitalism, basically. Capitalism. Um, but there's this there's this whole scene where like this Russian capitalist and then Woody Harrelson, who <laughs> plays a um, he calls himself uh, he's like I'm a Marxist. I'm not. He's like I'm not a communist. I'm a Marxist. Oh please. Um, and they're they're like just saying like different quotes back and forth to each other like the one guy saying like ronald reagan quotes and then woody harrelson saying like karl marx quotes and it's just like it uh it, it's it's such such a good movie um and yeah that's like all i have to say that's all it. i have to say i'm done but um, if there's anything you so took high. away from this yeah i'm like if there's anything you took away from this um 
dear Mr. President, can we have a four-day work week? Literally, Biden, mm-hmm. in an actual speech, was like, hey, listen, I'm a capitalist. I'm like, God damn it, Joseph. No, God I mean, damn it. Like, we fucking knew. We knew well, that. Yeah. <laughs> but it's like, why? There's no, there's no chance. There's no chance. Um... Kamala, you're our last hope, Obi-Wan. Um, yeah, that's that's all we have to say on this. This is another one where it's like, don't take away that like life is horrible and everything sucks, please. Like, there is hope, and I do think with like our generation demanding more boundaries and demanding demanding a better work-life balance and things like that. Like, there is hope in the future, but I do think unfortunately it's going to be slow progress but you know what slow progress is better than no progress um so there is that to look forward to um you know prioritize your friends don't work yourself to death um make sure you're taking care of yourselves stay sexy and mindful yeah oh my god yeah stay sexy and mindful and uh with that um some behind the scenes fun fact i ordered doordash um and it arrived half an hour ago so now i get to see if the food is still there we could have paused. I was on a roll, Kaylin. <laughs> <laughs> so if you'll excuse me. Stay tuned. Just stay tuned. All right. Bye, guys. Bye.